Welcome to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma talk, contemplate with our minds and in our hearts, and engage in guided meditation. In this episode, we look at devotion. Please take a moment to like, follow, and review our podcast. This is the best possible offering as it helps us reach new listeners. Devotion is a tricky thing in our culture, in English language, possibly in your own experience. Today on Sakadawa Duchen, which is the festival in the Tibetan Buddhist lunar calendar commemorating the birth, enlightenment, and parinirvana of the Buddha Shakyamuni, is a wonderful day to consider devotion. In the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, devotion is central to practice because there's a very strong emphasis on the practices of Mahamudra and Vajrayana, which are awareness practices of profound understanding of reality just as it is. It is devotion that gives us the receptivity the trust, the openness, and the courage to move forward when all of our habits are screaming to move in the opposite direction, or possibly even telling us that we're foolish to invest our faith, our trust, our life on something that we can't see or hear or smell or taste or touch or prove. So I'd like to start out by what devotion is not, and then look at what it is and why it's important. Devotion is not just mere religious piety, which is one of the meanings of the term in English. This word devotion actually is a very poor translation of the Tibetan mugu, but there isn't a direct counterpoint, and devotion works well enough. But like most Dharma terminology, it's really important for us to know what the word is pointing to. The experience the word is meant to evoke in us is what we explore in our listening, contemplating, and meditating. In the case of devotion, there is a sense of looking up to, of revering, which the English word devotion shares. In fact, the first half of that Tibetan word, full form is mupa, means reverence, war, awe, wonder, veneration, and the like. The second half is gupa, which means respect, appreciation, gratitude. The Tibetan term mugu is speaking of reverent gratitude. That sense of reverent gratitude is what we need to somehow fit into this English word devotion. In the context of the Vajrayana, the devotion is often directed towards a guru, not just the Buddha Shakyamuni, but often a living teacher. And there are very sad stories of ways that living teachers have abused the trust and confidence of their students. 
that's a thing for another day. The topic of gurus in general requires at least an episode of its own and more. But for today, I'd like to look at devotion because it's not just the Vajrayana and Mahamudra contexts where it's valuable to follow the path of practices and continual openness of heart. Devotion is also, quite simply, an expression of mind's true nature. We feel wonder all the time at our mother, who, as a single parent, managed to raise two children in a country where she didn't speak the language very well and where she had far less than the extended familial support of her home country. Or perhaps a teacher who uplifts her students and changes their lives in subtle ways and then lets them go to move on. Or whatever it may be, the great beings of our time, the Martin Luther Kings, Nelson Mandela's, Mother Teresa's, Mahatma Gandhi, and so forth. We feel wonder and awe at these people because they are human, just like us, and yet they've accomplished so much. They've managed to change so many people's lives. We don't have a sense of rivalry or competition, for example, with Mother Teresa. Yet we notice that she's accomplished a great deal that we have not. There's something of that in devotion, that sense that the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, the Mahasiddhas, the Arhats, all of the realized masters have managed to attain liberation from samsara, genuine happiness, completely devoid of any kind of suffering, and we have not. The humility that we've talked about for the last two episodes allows us to receive that with reverence rather than some kind of curmudgeonly grumbling about, oh, they must have gamed the system or found some sneaky way around things or to discount their incredible achievement as something that can't be proven and that is beyond our capacity to measure. Devotion leaves behind the hubris of trying to explain experience in the realm of tape measures, scales, and microscopes. It's the humility that recognizes that there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in our philosophy that are able to fit in our minds. That humility imagines that humility looks up at beings who have made the most out of their human potential. That's the reverence quality of devotion. Then there's the quality of gratitude. All of the teachers, for example, across all of the cultures of Asia that have preserved, practiced, and transmitted the variety of teachings of the Buddha to ensure that later generations have access to those teachings without impediment. While the reverence looks up from this very human condition which we inhabit, 
to the peak of what humanity can manifest. Buddhahood, arhathood, bodhisattvahood, realization of the true nature of mind. Gratitude is very personal, not just looking up in this very intangible way, but very tangibly feeling the kindness, the wisdom, and the impact of so many beings making it possible for us to pick up a sweet little book by Ani Pemichudrin or Ajahn Chah, Thich Nhat Hanh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Whatever teacher inspires you to be everything that humans are capable of being, an untold number of beings have made it possible for those teachings to be present in the world today, for you to be able to access them. This level of devotion is, as you can see, very much directed in some way to a teacher. Even outside of the context of Vajrayana and Mahamudra or Sokchen practices, which are specifically devotional practices, there is a quality of reverence, of gratitude in Buddhist practice in general. The reverence and gratitude we have for our teacher, for the Buddha, for the Dharma, for the Sangha of realized beings is a kind of initial devotion, the trust of teachers that manifest in human form. And then there's an even more subtle version of that, which is the words of the Buddha, the very words of the Dharma, as we listen to them, contemplate them, and engage in the meditative inquiry that brings them alive in our mind, suffuses our mind stream with the wisdom of the Buddha Dharma. Those words become a source of teaching that is spontaneous. We understand the words of the Buddha as a teacher themselves, not in human form this time, but in the physical form of letters, the intangible forms of sounds and understanding. This too is a kind of devotion, a trust, faith, and respect, a gratitude in the teachings themselves that are alive in our mind stream, closer and closer to realization. Devotion even extends further. As we continue to engage in the teachings that we obtain from an individual in human form and integrate from the words of the Buddha Dharma, we start to experience everything in life as a living expression of Buddha Dharma, a leafless tree in the winter teaching impermanence. The mother swallow feeding her nestlings in your porch, teaching the kindness of mother beings, whatever it may be. This too is a kind of reverence and gratitude, a devotion towards everything in our life that allows us to touch into the dimension of Buddha Dharma that is alive and present and offering itself up to us all the time in the world. Then there's the most personal, most intimate, even mystical quality of devotion. 
the devotion of realizing the true nature of our own mind. That true nature is emptiness and compassion in inseparable embrace. It is luminous, unpindownable, and continuous in its flow of all excellent qualities. The ultimate devotion, the ultimate reverence and gratitude, is this immediate experience of our own mind's nature, that is, realization. There's so many levels of devotion, a whole spectrum of devotion, that begins the very first time an individual says or does something that wakes you up to your own Buddha nature and sets you on the path. So devotion is definitely an experience. It's definitely an attitude. It works on very many different levels, not merely devotion towards a teacher or the Buddha, but it starts there. As ordinary beings, we are social creatures. We interact with other beings, be they human or not. It's no surprise that when we are working towards this ultimate experience of direct realization of the true nature of mind, begins in relationship, a back and forth with an individual who serves as a mirror, as a reflection of all we can be. On a day like today, when we commemorate the Buddha Shakyamuni, what a wonderful thing it is to consider devotion with respect to the Buddha Shakyamuni. The Buddha is called the white lotus, the most beautiful of flowers among flowers, because it is said that there was a time when all the future bodhisattvas of this eon, when 1,000 bodhisattvas would attain Buddhahood, when all of these bodhisattvas gathered together before their teacher, their teacher allowed them to see a vision of all the different times and places and beings in this eon and allowed them to choose when they would take birth and where and for what beings until they attained Buddhahood in that life. One small part of this eon, this kalpa in Sanskrit, was rather darkened. Even in this fortunate eon, there was this somewhat shadowy space where there was some degeneration as to the quality of awareness and attentiveness. In other words, a lot of distraction in beings' minds. The kleshas, the emotions that disturb minds' natural tranquility, were very strong in beings' minds. They would turn on one another, argue, polarize, shun, and scapegoat beings in their midst. They would be drawn to wealth or physical prowess and beauty. And if that wasn't all, they had what, compared to these other beings in other parts of the eon, was a very short lifespan of about 100 years. This shadowy space of the eon, not even the bodhisattvas, would rush to claim. Except for one bodhisattva, whose compassion was so large, whose confidence and devotion in their own Buddha nature and their own teacher was immense and whose knowledge of the power of awakening was so unshakable that he rose and said, I want them. I want those beings. 
those are the ones who need me. And I will go to them. Because of this, he was called the White Lotus, supreme among even the most beautiful flowers. The Buddha Shakyamuni, as this Bodhisattva became, is supreme among the Bodhisattvas. Stories like this are invitations to connect with an experience of reverence and of gratitude that is not just a blip on the radar screen, but something that is inspiring, uplifting, and holds us as we move forward, encourages us to find that truth in us that is reflected in that Buddha Shakyamuni, and nourish it, and watch it as it blooms, in reflection of that beautiful white lotus, so that we are able to care for ourselves, all whom we love, all whom we don't love, all whom we don't even know, with the same equanimity, loving kindness, compassion, and joy of the Buddha Shakyamuni. Here are some seeds for your contemplation over the coming week. Today, June 14th, 2022, for Sakadawa Duchen, we invite you to join us for a chanting practice of the praise of the 12 deeds of the Buddha Shakyamuni at 8 a.m. United States Mountain Time. The link to sign up and receive the Zoom link is in the episode notes. We will continue this practice weekly on Mondays, June 20th, until August 1st, traversing the seven weeks' time between today's Festival of the Buddha's Birth, Enlightenment, and Parinirvana, and the Festival of Chikorduchin, which commemorates the Buddha's first teaching on August 1st. That's your seeds for contemplation this week. Be sure to join us again on the quarter moon as we answer your questions on devotion and stay tuned now for guided meditation with Lama Zopa. Shivni is our Tibetan singing bowl artist. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to like, follow, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It means a lot to us. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit. Hello, all you lovely friends and Dharma practitioners. Welcome to this meditation on devotion. To begin with, as we usually do, Let's just take a moment to arrive and ground in this moment. We're so fortunate to be here experiencing whatever it is that we're experiencing. So let's not run away from it. Let's take the time to really appreciate it simply by noticing whatever is going on inside of us, whatever feelings, thoughts, turbulence or calm, just allow it to be there. 
give it this great big space of welcome with our attention. And as you're welcoming it, don't get caught up in any of the thoughts or worries or feelings. If they're there, that's fine, but we don't have to engage with their storyline. Just come into being here and now. Let's start this meditation by doing a little tranquility meditation. So let's just follow the breath in and out as it flows. Don't change it. Don't modify it. Just use it as an anchor for your awareness so that you can come into a calm, settled, alert state, neither agitated nor distracted nor dull, sleepy, unknowing. Just focus on the breath in the present moment, flowing in and out. So let's practice like that for just a little bit. In that settled, alert, easeful state, turn your attention to whatever wish you have for wisdom, skill, and clarity in yourself and in your approach to life. Reflect on how that has manifested throughout your life and path, and also how it has been absent or blocked. How many times have I given up or just let my practice, my path, become status quo? It's not easy, is it? We know what it is like to become discouraged. We are intimately aware with our shortcomings and our difficulties, and we often push those away, feeling shame, embarrassment, anger or any of a plethora of other feelings of aversion. But it's okay. Just let yourself be aware of disappointment, of struggle, of whatever else might be there for you without judging. Allow yourself to look into and see all that time in your life history where we've wanted to do what's right, we've wanted to be kind, skillful, compassionate, wise, 
know just what to say or do, and yet not quite managing at times, disappointing ourselves. Oh, it can feel like such a burden. But don't let it be a burden. Just hold it in kind awareness, letting it be there and inform you. Take a moment to process this for yourself. Now, shift your attention to the Buddha, Shakyamuni, to all the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, the realized masters. They too started out on their path with some of these same kind of obstacles, challenges, struggles, similar to us, some of them seeming insurmountable seeming like there was just no hope. And yet, they made their way through the path to the brilliance of wisdom, clarity, skill, and compassion that is the inherent nature of mind. How amazing. We know so well all of the blocks that can get in the way, and yet they managed to make their way through it uncovering that brilliance of the nature of mind that likewise is our own birthright. How wondrous. Again, just allow space in your contemplation, in your awareness, for whatever comes up. It doesn't need to be any particular thing. Treat it all with kind curiosity. There is space here for it.
Not only have all of these masters made their way through all of the gunk, all of the obscurations of mind, pulling back the veils that obscure this brilliant, loving, blissful way of being that we're yearning for. But this has been going on since the time of the Buddha up until the present. Masters and practitioners have been keeping this alive as a living wisdom tradition, realizing it in their own mind streams, such that we too can have access to it, have a way to interact with the teachings and practices and wisdom that can lead us to realize it for ourselves in our own experience. What an immense kindness this is, all of these beings putting in all that effort, all that time, dedicating their lives, their energy, their time to this. Allow yourself to sit with appreciation for that. To close this meditation, let's just do another short practice of shamatha, of tranquility meditation. For this one, let's incorporate the reverence and gratitude of devotion. We can do this by taking the Buddha or the Guru or just a sphere of brilliant light in our heart center as the focus for our meditation. So there's no need to force ourselves to feel a certain way or change what we're experiencing. We just allow our attention to rest in the form of brilliant white light in the center of our heart. This can be the Buddha Shakyamuni, His Holiness Dalai Lama, His Holiness Karmapa, or any teacher that you have a strong connection with, or if that's not feeling right, can just be a ball of brilliant white light about the size of a pea in the center of your chest at heart level. So whether you're imagining the Buddha or the guru or the ball of white light, it's glowing brilliantly. And just allow that as the anchor for your attention. Let's practice like that for a minute and a half or so.
Thank you for your practice and all that you do. Now let's share whatever goodness may have come of this to ourselves and all beings so that we may all realize the inherent nature of mind, the brilliant wisdom, clarity, skill, and perfect compassion that is the very nature. Thank you.